Philippians chapter 1. We introduced the book of Philippians last week, kind of laid the ground level and didn't get much into Philippians, but we've, we've seen who was writing Philippians. That was Paul, his associate, Timothy. We saw uh, kind of where or, or how the church was started, Acts 16. And then we saw where Paul was at. He was in prison, Acts 20. And yet there was this overwhelming sense of joy in the life of Paul. And so we've entitled this message or this series, Finding Joy Right Where You Are. And, and I find two significant things about the book of Philippians One, sin is not mentioned in the book of Philippians. It's specifically a a testimony and a letter of joy. Joy fills this passage of scriptures. And secondly, there was a united bond between the two, all centered around the gospel of Jesus. We ended last week talking about the unexpected bond that they shared. And the unexpected bond was because of Christ in them and now Christ living through their life and their focus in that, we're going to continue that thought of the bond that this group, Paul and Philippi, has in Christ. Now Christ also wants us to display that same sort of bond. You could say it in this way. They had the same mission. Remember whenever Jesus was just a boy, 12 years old, and it was his first kind of trip to the temple, to, to Jerusalem, where he was now an adult. He could travel with the men now. Uh, but on their way back, Mary thought Joseph had him. Joseph thought Mary had him. They get to the station where they're going to spend the evening, and they notice, where's Jesus at? The panic of a parent. So they make their way back to Jerusalem, and the, what are they, where they find Jesus in the temple And what's he say to his mother? Mom, calm down. Don't you know? Shouldn't you know I will be about my father's business? I'm about my father's business. Well, Paul and Philippi had a similar motive. They're about the same business. They're about the father's business. They've been saved. They've been, uh, been, uh, um, what is that word? Justified in Jesus because of Jesus. And so now they're, they're on this same mission. And so there's this bond in Christ and they're, they're missional. They're, they're on this same mission. America is said to be the foundation for family businesses. Yeah, interestingly enough, if you look up and you research some about family businesses, it says that one-third of family businesses will survive the transition between the first generation and the second generation. One-third. And of that one-third, 50% of those will survive the transition from the second generation to the third generation. Why? Because oftentimes the structure of the business, uh, it just kind of diminishes. The business outgrows the structure in which it first was founded, and it kind of doesn't evolve with it. Paul and Philippi, they're on this same mission, but the, but the unique thing about their mission is the structure will, will never, uh, they will never outgrow the structure, the foundation. The foundation is purely the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's the only reason that they have this purpose. It's the only reason that they have this mission. Uh, they can depart from it, but the structure, the mission, the gospel of Jesus remains the same. And so we really see in this passage of scripture, there's joy because a group of people are united around the the gospel of Jesus. And that's what we're going to see today. There's this unique bond that's found in Jesus. And so verse 3, we're going to read down through verse 11. We'll hit verse 12 a little bit as well this morning. The Bible says this. I want to see a few principles about this unique bond that they had in Jesus this morning. He says this, Paul, he says, I thank my God 
upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this very thing that he has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it's right for me to thank of you all because I have you in my heart in so much as both in my chains and in the defense and in the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into some principles this morning. Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for uh, the ability to come to assemble on oftentimes a, a holiday weekend where uh, we uh, are, are traveling and, and going places. Lord, we, we're just so thrilled to be able to slow down today and just worship you and just dwell in your presence and just uh, sing praises and, and glory and honor to you. And Lord, thank you for uh, the work and effort that was put into uh, that part of our service. And Lord, as we move into diving into your word, Lord, I pray that you'll speak through me. Lord, I pray that you'll encourage us, that you'll convict us, and you'll build us up to live a life of joy right where we are. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. The first thing I want you to see about this bond in Christ, this bond in Jesus, is that it brought a spirit of thankfulness. The first thing, the principle that we see, the first principle that we see is that this bond truly brings a spirit of thankfulness. You could say it this way, Paul was thankful for God's work collectively. He's going to express how he's just overwhelmingly thankful for how God is working in the lives of these people collectively. He says this way, I thank my God upon every remembrance you always in every prayer of mine making request for you, Philippi, with joy. He was, he was moved to joy. Uh, we see a similar greeting that we see in other, Paul's, uh, other of Paul's letters as this introduces, we hit on that a little bit last week, but there's a uniqueness found in this because there's really no negativity found in this. If you, for example, if you go to the church of, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's quick to bring up the strong disagreements that are taking place in the church. Hey, welcome, here's a greeting, boom, here's what you're doing wrong. Why are you disagreeing? Why aren't you on the same page? In Colossians, he's quick to, uh, he's astonished how quickly they moved away from the gospel. He's like, well, what are you guys doing? That You guys are missing the point of it all. But here in Philippians, this church is so unique because they stayed focused. They stayed in the bond of Jesus. And so that brought a spirit of thankfulness to the life of Paul. You guys get it, is what he's saying. You guys get the purpose. I rejoice. I'm filled with joy. So much so that I thank God with joy because you stayed faithful. Because you get the point of it all. Notice this spirit of joy brought, brought a spirit of, uh, the spirit of thankfulness brought a spirit of joy. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. That each time he, he thought of this church, he was moved to praise and thank God for this church, and, and, he, and he did it with joy. He, he was joyful in this experience. Well, what did Philippi do to deserve this joy, to deserve this praise, to deserve this thought? Well, they, they stood with Paul. 
they endured with Paul. You read some of Paul's other letters, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, 9, and 11. What's he say? He says, everybody else left me, but the churches in Macedonia, they stayed with me. The churches in Philippi, they were faithful with me. They stayed with him. They supported him. And so he was filled with the spirit of thankfulness that brought him to a place of joy. Have you ever had someone or something in your life that you just couldn't help but put a smile on your face because they just brought you to a spirit of joy? Because you've seen how God's orchestrated this event or how God's blessed you with this thing or how God's provided for you. Uh, For me, it's my daughter. It's Aislinn. Oftentimes it's a battle for me because I struggle to, I don't struggle to discipline Lola as much because she's like the second blessing, right? But Aislinn, she was the first blessing because for four and a half years we, we struggled to have kids and we were praying to God, God, why aren't you blessing? God, come on, like we're, we're following you. What are you doing? For four years there's frustration. For four years there, there's tears almost nightly. God, where are you at? God, what are you doing? And, and all of a sudden God intervenes and all of a sudden God blesses us with, with a child. Old and, and I can't help but see her across the room from, now and, from, from every now and then and just be filled with joy. Like that's a, that's a gift from God. And so I'm moved to thankfulness and I'm moved to joy. Paul in a similar way, he sees this church of Philippi and he says, man, this was a God thing. And so I thank God and I'm moved with joy. But the interesting thing was Paul's in prison. How is Paul being moved to this place of of joy when Paul is in prison. Because even for, for me, Aislinn can be uh, kind of uh, doing something wrong over here and all of a sudden the filled with joy diminishes very quickly because the circumstances that we're facing, the embarrassment that she's causing or something like that, right? But Paul's in prison. Paul's no clue the state in which his life is going to be. He's been in prison for a couple years. He's about to face a trial from a very wicked man that we'll see in a little bit, that we'll see a little bit later in the following weeks, that this, this, this could lead to execution for your life, and yet you're filled with joy. Even, even thinking about Philippi, Paul, how are you filled with joy in this moment? Philippi was not your best it was not your best day. You didn't have your best times in Philippi. You didn't even want to go to Philippi. God led you. You submitted to him. Good job, Paul. You submitted to God. But when you get there, you think you're going to meet this man. Then you're going to preach in this synagogue. Oh, there's no synagogue. So you go down to this river. You find this group of women praying. And one <laughs> receives Christ. You get pretty bad results, Paul. And, and, and God opened up her heart. Like, and, then, and then this demon-possessed girl follows you around for a couple of days. And then you get beaten up, thrown in prison. That doesn't sound like something that should bring you to a spirit of joy. I'll just be honest. But Paul was able to see through the lens of his suffering with the power of the Holy Spirit to to move to a place of thankfulness because he saw God work despite him. He saw God work through him. And so he he was moved to a spirit of thankfulness with joy. You know, I pray that Village Bible Church will be that for somebody's life. That when somebody comes into this place or when a community hears about Village Bible Church, they can't help but be moved with a spirit of joy. They can't help but thank God 
for, for the joy that Village Bible Church has placed in their life. I pray that I'm a type of pastor one day, that people will, will be moved to thank God, because not because of me, but because of how God works through me, and, and it leads people to a spirit of joy. I pray that each one of us will be members and people of God, that people can't help but turn not to praise you, but to praise God because of how God has worked through you. Paul was moved to thankfulness with joy because of how God has worked through the people of Philippi as well as through him, and he was in prison. And yet there's this key. Paul says, the first instinct that I have when I think of you is to thank my God for you, is to be filled with joy because of how God has worked through you. I pray that's said of us as well. And as this gift that the church of Philippi gives to Paul was expected to bless Paul and encourage Paul, Paul will actually encourage them with this letter. And that's what the church is supposed to do. 1 Thessalonians 5, right? It says this, comfort yourselves together and encourage one another. That's what the church is designed to do, to, to encourage each other. Like the, the service this morning is not just supposed to be a service to serve you, to bless you, but, but we as the church are called to encourage one another. We're, we're called to gather together and to comfort one another and to encourage one another in the Lord. And so the question could be asked, who are you encouraging this week? Who, who did you encourage in this body this week? Who did you encourage? We're called to comfort one another. We're called to encourage one another. Paul could use a little bit of encouragement, and he found it in the church of Philippi. Paul could use a little bit of comfort. He wasn't asking for it, but he could use a little bit, and he found it in the church of Philippi. And here's the thing. We need comfort. We need encouragement. Obviously, it's found in the Lord, but oftentimes it's channeled through the local church. And so we can find encouragement. We can find comfort Paul did, and so can we. So he's moved with this spirit of joy. He, he's, he's moved through his circumstances. That everything that Paul's enduring, he sees, hey, Philippi is being missional. Yeah, I'm in prison, but Philippi is advancing the gospel. P Philippi is supporting me. Philippi is being missional and benevolent with what God has gifted them. And so therein I'm thankful and therein I'm joyful. But the second thing we see is there was also fellowship. There's the bond of joy, but there's the bond of fellowship. He says this, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The word fellowship is the phrase koinonia. Koinonia, it means a joint partnership in the gospel. And that's what it went to have in common. This word koinonia is found a couple different times in scriptures. And it doesn't always just have to do with sharing things with one another. It doesn't always just have to do with uh, how we view as fellowship. Like we're going to have a bingo night. We're all just going to hang out and enjoy some company. That is an aspect of koinonia. But koinonia is found in many different passages of scriptures. It's found in a shared life. That's koinonia. It's found in communion that we'll uh, partake in here in a little bit. That's a phrase of koinonia's in there. It's found in giving. That's koinonia. And so Paul says, you have been koinonia to me. You have been fellowship with me and how you've shared with me and how you've partnered with me in the gospel of Jesus. This is koinonia. We have this similar bond founded in the gospel of Jesus. It's fellowship. So he says, I've, every time I think of you, I rejoice because we're partners with the same mission. We're partners with the same purpose. And that's what we are. And so there's this shared 
partnership. And I love this passage because no matter the complexities of the personalities in the church of Philippi, and I'm sure it was complex, when koinonia was found in the Lord, there was unity. I love that, that no matter the complexities of the assembly at Philippi, Lydia, seller of purple, purple, purple uh, there, there was the jeller and their family. I imagine this rough and tough guy, potentially the, the uh, girl who has been saved from demon possession. We don't know if she uh, followed Jesus after that moment or not. The church grew, and no matter the complexities, there was koinonia found in fellowship with Jesus because the focus was in Jesus. Just this past week, I was at a soccer game, and I was talking to a pastor that was also at this soccer game, and we were just talking about, hey, this is our church, this is what the Lord's been doing here. He was talking, hey, this is what the Lord's been doing there. And although we would be vastly different in some of the methodology in which we would, how we would operate a church and, and different structures in which we designed a church, we rejoice in koinonia because we're on the same team, because we're pursuing the same mission. And so there was koinonia, there was fellowship. But I want you to notice a couple things specifically about this fellowship. The first thing I want you to notice is this fellowship was focused. What was it? It was in the gospel. There was intentional focus of this fellowship. It wasn't just like, hey, Paul, you started this church, cool. No, no, no. The focus was in the gospel. They were on the same mission. It was a, it was a focused fellowship. This was a partnership. So much so at the end of Philippians, he'll say, when I left Macedonia... He'll say, no church entered partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you. It was a unique bond because it was a focused bond. And, and I'm thankful uh, for, for that aspect and that culture here in the life of village. That, that was honestly something that moved uh, our, our family to, to this church was there was a focus and the main focus was in the gospel. There may be some differences over here, even in 905, we said, is it, is, uh, we talked about some differences that, that we may see in a church, but there's, there's joint unity founded in the gospel of Jesus. And there should be. And if a church loses its focus on what unites them, anything will divide them. When a church loses its focus on what truly unites them, the gospel of Jesus Christ, anything will divide them. And you see this taking place, but not here. Why? Because, because of fellowship, because of koinonia that was focused in the gospel of Jesus. So are we focused in the gospel of Jesus? You see this in marriage. When you lose sight of your oath, your vow, your union before God... What happens? Selfishness takes root. You, you start to see things differently when you, lo you lose sight of the union that you vowed before God. Confusion, cor corruption takes root and, and it destroys a marriage. And we see the same things true spiritually. And so keep the focus. They were focused. Notice the fellowship was also faithful. He says this from the first day until now. It says, Philippi, you've supported me, Acts 16. Lydia was, was saved, and she brought me into her house and let me stay. She didn't even know us, but she invited Paul and Silas there. And still now, you've gifted me with this gift. You've remained with me, and so I am thankful for your faithfulness. I'm thankful that you are faithful. Even when we moved here with, with this church, the, I was so thrilled and thankful that we were able to partner with uh, Pastor Ken and Kathleen and to continue the, the support and the ministry. Why? Because we're partners together for the gospel. That's what, it, that's what it's all about. 
I love when we came here a couple months down the road, a couple weeks really, the elders came up and was like, hey, some of our people have a heart to increase the missions funds and, and to, to support heavier missionaries that we'll talk about here in a couple weeks. And when the budget probably said, hey, let's hold off for a minute, we said, no, let, let's, be, let's be bold because this is what unites us, the gospel going forth. This is the main focus. And so we are able to add four new missionaries that you'll hear about in a, in a couple weeks. And, and, and why? Because it's all about being united in the right fellowship, like focused and faithful. And there's no better joy to be faithful to what the Lord calls us to be. Go ye therefore and reach people with the gospel of Jesus. They were focused. They were uh, faithful. And Paul's in prison. Now Paul's imprisonment could have been viewed as self-inflicted, right? Well, remember the church of Ephesus? What did it say? Paul, don't go. You're going to get thrown in prison. So this, this gift to Philippi that Philippi sent Paul could have looked something like, hey, Paul, we heard from Ephesus. You're in prison. They told you not to go. This is our last letter to you. Goodbye. They could have done that, but they were faithful. Why were they faithful? So much so because in verse 6 we'll see the second thing is this. The bond in Christ was one of confidence. It was in a spirit of thankfulness, but it was one of confidence. Verse 6 says it this way. Being confident in this very thing that he has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's say Paul looks back on this relationship and he's moved with overwhelming confidence that God will finish his work. That God will complete it. This word complete means, uh, one, it, it means one who is moved with persuasion from something taking place. One who's moved to persuasion for something that is taking place. What do you see? What's taking place? God started this and God was going to finish it. God, God started this and God was going to bring it complete. This word will complete means to bring to completion, to render complete. That, that the church of Philippi existed solely because of God and so he was going to finish the work. He was going to complete it. And, and this confidence was there because first of all, it was God's work. It was not Philippi's work. It was not good job Paul. It was God. Paul didn't even want to go there. He, didn't, he wasn't against it, but he had plans to go to Asia, but he submitted to God. God redirected his steps, and he goes to Philippi. It wasn't even Paul's message, right? Because in Acts 16, when Lydia received Christ, the Bible says that the Lord opened up her heart. It wasn't even Paul's message. Paul knew. He had overwhelming confidence that this was purely of God. This whole thing, this was a work of God. Paul was confident, and that confidence said, hey, uh, I have confidence that the same God who sent me to Philippi is the same God who's saving Philippi, is the same God who's sanctifying Philippi, and is the same God who will one day glorify Philippi. This is of God. And so he had overwhelming confidence. There was this bond of confidence because God was going to finish what he started. We see this in Ephesians. For by grace are you saved through faith. Well, the not, not of you and not of yourselves is a gift of God. Not of works as any man should boast. That salvation has nothing to do with us. It's purely the work of God in our lives. But we also see that he's not done yet because it's God's work. But secondly, it's a gradual work because he continues and he says this. He has begun, meaning it's, it's continuing to go on. Who He who has begun a good work in you. Here in a couple weeks, we'll see how Philippians 2 will speak to this, that salvation is the work that he does for us, sanctification is the work that he does in us, and service is the work that he does through us. 
Salvation is the work that he does for us. Sanctification is the work that he does in us. And service is the work that he does through us. What he's saying, it's all a work of God. It's all God. It's nothing that you do. It's because of God for you, God, in you, and now God through you. And, and that's the reality. God today is working right in this moment to conform you more into his image. I know you just thought it was a normal Sunday. Get up, get ready, do the hair if you have any, put on some makeup, put on the shoes, come into church. You guys are already thinking Texas Roadhouse, come on, come on, hurry up. But right now God is working to conform you more into the, to the image of God. It's for you, it's, it's in you so that he can one day work through you. That, that me up on this stage is not me, it's God through me. That the kids workers in the back, it's God, it's God through them. That our small group leaders throughout the week, it's God through them. The youth group tonight, it's God, it's God through them. It's God, Jesse at Val Vista today, it's God through him. It's God through us. That's the only reason in which we can do what we do because it's God's work. It's a gradual work. I love what uh, Spurgeon said this way. He says, the work of grace has its roots in the divine goodness of the Father. Its roots are in the divine goodness of the Father. It's planted in the self-denying goodness of the Son. And it's daily watered by the goodness of the Holy Spirit. It springs from good. It leads to good. It's altogether good. Uh, God does a work in his people. Uh, When God does a work in his people, it's for good. And God's going to complete it. It's It's a gradual work. But thirdly, we see it's a final work. Because he says this, complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That God is not a God who starts something and doesn't finish it. You have any unfinished projects at your house? <laughs> I have a list. Been in my house for four months. And I specifically designed this service today because my wife is upstairs in the kids class. No, I'm just kidding. But I have this list of stuff like she asked me to do. And I'm not that handy. And so uh, she, we moved in and she wanted me to do this like entryway wall design with a bench. And I didn't, I, I didn't want to pay for it because we wanted it a little bigger. And so I said, you know what, honey, I'll, I'll build it. Four months in, I've got the wall. I haven't even started the bench. I'm planning to do it today. Probably won't happen, but I'm planning to do it today. Uh, we unfinished projects. What are you saying? God, God does not... God finishes projects. He will one day bring it to completion. And I know uh, even if you may feel like you're in a rut this morning, you may feel like you may feel like there's no way God's completing this. Uh, like I'm, I'm too far gone. No, no, no. God will complete it. Salvation is for you. Sanctification is, is in you so that he can then work through you. He will bring it to complete. But I want you to notice the, the completion in which he's talking about is the second coming of Jesus. He says this, until the day of Jesus Christ. And so it's not simply your completion. It's the completion. It's, it's the final countdown. It's Jesus returning, the true completion. That's the focus. The focus isn't in you. God wants to work through you and in you and has a purpose for you. But the focus is in the day of Jesus Christ. When all things are really become new. When, when, when death and, and, and sin will be eternally uh, fixed all together. And Paul was thankful and Paul was confident because he knew this was a work of God and God was going to finish what he started there. But God was going to finish what he really started because he's coming again. And he's going he's to render complete. I remember when the Lord laid on our heart to, to move here. And I remember 
um, some of my thought processes. I, I came from a, a larger youth group, and so you really had to be heavily intentional in relationships because students could just kind of go, and, uh, and it was a bigger youth group, so it was hard to even uh, greet everybody. Uh, much like this, just hard to greet everybody on a, on a Sunday. I try, but it's, it's an absolute impossibility. And so uh, I was very, very close, my wife and I, to our juniors and seniors. And, and the literal thought process went, by my, went, went, went through my head, like, what are they going to do? What are they going to do without Travis, right? What are they going to do without Teslin? I remember having uh, meetings with our youth leaders and, and our youth staff and be like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know if God wants us to go here or not because I don't really know. Like, we've created a good thing here. And, like, I don't want the next guy to come in and ruin what we've started and, and God's blessing. And it was almost as if God was like, hey, Travis, side note, it's not you, right? Like, go ahead, get out of here. I have this. Like, you can, you can trust me. Like, it was never you, actually. I just used you. And so, and the Lord led us here, and it's so fascinating to see how the Lord's working here, and the Lord's growing and working there too. And Paul realized something that I had to learn in those moments, that everything, this, this was all the work of God. And it was all God's work, and he will bring it to completion. Notice he says a similar thought in verse 12. I'm going to skip for a minute, and we'll go back. But I want you to know, brethren that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guards and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And the most of our brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That the beatings and the imprisonments and the suffering which Paul faced, he's now seeing are actually for the advancement of the gospel. That through my suffering, God gets glory. Through, through my suffering, people are bold to speak about their faith. And, and you've seen this play true if you've had different things in your life and people have come back and you've been, you've been allowed to help others through those, those moments that they face, whether it was sickness or whether it was a sinful lifestyle, that, that God works it for his good. And Paul says this is all for God's Glory, And so Paul was simply thankful to be a vessel for the voice of the gospel. He was thankful to be a vessel for the voice of the gospel. Sometimes we want to be the voice that corrupts the gospel. Sometimes we want to have a voice, but oftentimes our voice is the very thing that corrupts the gospel and takes people off the eyes of the gospel. Paul says, when I preach or when I suffer, I'm simply a vessel for the voice of the gospel. And sometimes I wonder, would that have been me? The pain, the suffering, the persecution, uh, what, would, what would my voice have been? I guarantee I would have had a voice. But would, have, would it have been a vessel to point people to the gospel? Paul says, my suffering, cool, as long as God gets the glory through it. We'll hit on that a little bit more next week. The, and the final thing is this. The bond in Christ was maturing. The bond in Christ gave a spirit of thankfulness. The bond in Christ shouldn't have done that because I forget my second point, was one of confidence in the bond of Christ, in Christ, was maturing. Verse 7 says this, Just as it's right for me to think of you all, think what? That he'll continue to mature the faith, and then he tells us why. Because I have you in my heart, in so much as both in my chains and in my defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with affection, of Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is right for me to think of you all. 
in this way. How? To be thankful, to be led to joyfulness, to have a desire to pray for you. This is right for me because you've stood beside me. You've kept the focus. You've matured in the gospel of Christ so much so that you are now partakers. You have a joint partnership with me. You have a unique bond that's found in Jesus with me. Your joint partner. How are they joint partners? Because they were actively living out their faith just like Paul. They were on the same mission. They were, because of the bond they had in Jesus, they, they were partakers. They had the same support. They had the same focus. So he says, you are in my grace. Well, it's sad that, that the trials I've had because of the gospel, you've endured with me, and so you will receive the same grace that I've received. He says, in my defense, it's not put him up, come, come bail me out of prison. That, that's, a reasoned, that's a reasoned response. That's a reasoned argument is what that word defense means. And so what do you say? You're bold to preach too. If you know anything about Paul, he was bold to preach how God has internally changed his life. That the, that the eternal life in which he's received was the very scent everywhere he, he went because he had a passion to preach the gospel. He was bold to give a reasoned argument, to give a defense. And he says, so are you. Right? Everywhere Paul went, Paul went to a new city. What did he look for? He said it last week. A synagogue, right? Where's the synagogue? Why? Because I want to give a reasoned argument. I want to, I want to preach the gospel. Mars Hill, remember Mars Hill? He went to... Mars Hill, and then all of a sudden there's all these false idols everywhere. And Paul found one that was uh, the unnamed God. And he's like, what does he say? Let me tell you about this one. I'll tell you a lot about this one. He presents the reasoned argument. He presents the gospel to Mars Hill. That was his passion. That was his purpose, to give a defense. He says, so it is with you. First Peter will tell us, uh, 1 Peter 3 will give us an encouragement to do the same. What's it say? Always, 1 Peter 3, always be ready to give a defense, a reasoned argument to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready. You stood for the defense and you stood for the reasoned argument. You're ready to, to, uh, to, to share what God has laid on your heart. You're ready to share the gospel. And so you're partakers with me because you are gospel driven too. You're gospel-driven, too. It makes me think, what, what about us? Am I, a, am I truly a partaker of the gospel? Well, do I want to give a defense? Do I want to give a reasoned argument? Do, do I want to share the gospel with others? Do, do I, do I uh, use my influence to impact people? Do I, do I invite people to church? Do I, do I share my story? Do I have a bold desire to give a defense? Then we also see this, we see in the confirmation of the gospel. What does this mean? Paul would often go back to the churches in which he started to, in a way, confirm them, to, to see if they were faithful, to see if they had the right motives. And Philippi did. Philippi had the right perspective. And so there was this bond in Christ because the church of Philippi was maturing. Paul was full of joy because the church of Philippi got it. They were gospel-focused, they were faithful, and they were maturing in the gospel. And we see that this church was growing because they had the right perspective. It wasn't because they had a lot of people. It wasn't because they had a strong preacher. It wasn't because they had awesome, uh, awesome setups. It wasn't because they were a big city. It was because they were in Christ. It was because they were focused. We see that this church was focused on the main thing, Jesus the gospel. This church was faithful to God and they are faithful to each other. We see that this church was missional to support Paul. 
We see that this church was allowing God to continue to work and mature them. And they were submitting to his leading. And I don't know about you, but I don't think church is just designed to be a Sunday experience. But, but I think Philippi gives us a, a great example of a mature church that we should strive to, to be like. That we should strive in a way to want to encourage each other, to comfort each other that we should strive in a way to want to live life together as Philippi did, that we should strive to want to be missional and want to support, that we should strive to want community and crave spiritual growth, that we should strive to be mentored, and once that, we're striving to mentor somebody else, that we should strive to, to mature in Christ. And so would that be said about you? Would that heart that Philippi exposes to us, that this is a life of mature church, would that be said about you? Do you have that desire to grow? Do you have that desire to mature? Do you have that desire to be spiritually equipped? Do you have that desire to comfort and to encourage? Do you have that desire to, to support? That should be our desire. Let me ask you this way. Does your life confirm the gospel? Does your life confirm the gospel where if Jesus would come back, he says, that's confirmation. They got it right. They got it right. Let me ask, do those you impact know Jesus because of your impact? They say that 90% of Americans have running shoes, but only 5% regularly run. And part of that, 90%, not five personally. 90% of Americans have running shoes, but only 5% regularly run. But it makes me think, how many people attend a service but aren't actively being the church with their lives. 90%, 5%, Philippi will show us, hey, this is how you confirm the gospel. This is some steps for you to actually be the church, united in the bond of Jesus. Philippi, you're partakers with me of grace. You stayed with me, but most importantly, you stayed with the gospel. And so I rejoice, and he says it this way, I long for you with all the affection of Jesus, not with Paul's love, but Christ's love channeled through Paul. And so this is how Paul prays for the church of Philippi. Verse 9, and I'll be done. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being fixed with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. Paul's prayer was that their love may abound more and more. That's interesting because Philippi definitely showed love to Paul. They sent him a gift when no one else did. They supported him when no one else did. But Paul says, hey, you can never have enough agape love in your life. I pray that your love may abound more and more. Not like Galatians, because Galatians loved, but they loved without discernment. And that caused problems, and Jesus had to, to address that. But he says that your love may abound with, with sincerity and with discernment that your love may abound with excellence, that you may approve all things. And so Philip, what's Paul saying? Paul wants them to, to, to grow in love, but in the right kind of love. And it's still in a focused, faithful love, but the right kind of love. So he says, do this with sincerity and do this without offense. That should be the goal. Sincerity is kind of like the inner joy, the inner righteousness, rather. So you're sincere. And the without offense is kind of like the outer righteousness. 
It says, do this and have this. Be sincere without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. But if you're anything like me, I read that. I'm like, that's an impossibility. How can I be sincere and how can I be without offense? The reality is we can't. We can't without the work of God. And he'll tell us that. Because in this day, tax collectors were viewed as sincere. We know they were not. And Pharisees, many of them were viewed as without offense. And we know they were not. So how can we do this? He says, by the fruits of the righteousness only found in Jesus Christ. How can I be sincere? How can I be without offense? You can't. It's only God's work in you. It's it's by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and then allowing God to work in your life and then work through your life. That's how you can be filled with the fruits of righteousness. John 15 says, abide in me and I'll abide in you. It's through Jesus. The bond in Jesus Christ. Do you have joy this morning? Do you have joy? Maybe you don't have joy because you don't know Jesus. Maybe if I were to ask you, do you have joy in your life? What's joy? Well, joy is solely found in a relationship with Jesus. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Have you experienced a relationship with Jesus? The Bible says that he came, he died for you, and uh, he he paid for for sins uh, of this whole world because we were broken and we could not pay for them on our own. He says, if you believe and if you accept me, believe in your heart and accept me with your mouth, then you can be saved. He says, it's a simple prayer, but a belief in your heart that says, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that without you, I cannot attain real joy. I can't have peace with God. So come into my heart and save me. Thank you. A simple prayer and a belief in your heart that Jesus is. Do you have joy? Not only that, if you already have this bond of Jesus, are you partnering together with the gospel? Are you a partner in the gospel? I'll ask it this way. Do you bring joy to others because of Christ in you that's now living through you? Are you a partner together with the gospel? Second question I'd ask you is this. Are you allowing God to work in your life to complete that work in you? Are you a little stubborn with allowing God to work in your life? Or are you just sacrificially saying, God, work in me. God, move in my life. God, I want you to complete your work in me. I'm simply a vessel for the voice of the gospel. Are you? And the third question would be this, are you partaking? 